0: We're excited about what God is doing, and uh, we are starting a brand new series, and I want to welcome you. Uh, My name is AJ Dovitt. I'm so glad that you are with us, and uh, our series that we're going to be doing is called uh, Stand Firm, Love Well. I'd like to welcome All of our guests that are with us. If this is your first time watching us today, uh, we welcome you. We're so glad that you have joined us and we are excited about what God is going to do in the next few moments in your life. I I do want to thank you for tuning in. Most people check us out online and they uh, are are watching. There's a lot of people watching online right now. So we welcome you and we're so glad that you have joined us. Thank you for being a part. And uh, this week, our brand new series is called Stand Firm and Love Well. And we are going to discuss how we can be more like Jesus Christ in the current culture that we live in. And so uh, tonight we're going to start and I want to just start by giving you a quick breakdown of uh, the Old Testament. So the Old Testament has got several different uh, divisions in it. As a matter of fact, we have the law, which is the first five books, and then you have uh, history, and then you have poetry, and uh, then you also have the major and the minor prophets. And they're called the major and the minor prophets, not because one is more important than the other, but uh, we have the major and the minor prophets because some are smaller and some are longer. Uh, So the the major ones are the longer books, and the minor ones are the smaller books right there at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, But the reason that I do that is because Uh, I want you to understand we're going to begin reading uh, in Daniel chapter 1 and I want you to have a little bit of uh, significance uh, to understand where we're heading in the next few moments and that is uh, the book of Daniel is a prophetic book. It's one of the major prophet books in the Old Testament. It's not in the historical section of the Old Testament. And the reason that it is where it is at is because uh, there are patterns and there are blueprints in this book that can be seen to carry on over into modern day and even beyond. And so the lessons that can be learned uh, from the patterns and the happenings in the book of Daniel, they really apply to us today. So in the book of Daniel, when it begins, uh, the nation of Israel, because they had rejected God, they were paying the price for their rejection of God. They had been carried off into captivity, uh, captivity into Babylon. And this is the same thing that happens to every life, to every nation, to every generation that rejects God. If we don't follow God, we will pay a great price. Every one of us will. Uh, So if you were wondering, them being carried off into Babylon, Babylon for us is modern day Iraq. And uh, you have an opportunity uh, to understand some some key concepts of scripture here. So let's get into Daniel chapter 1. And let's read Daniel chapter 1 and uh, let's start right there at verse 1 in in the New International Version. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Uh, that means they started carrying off into captivity. They were bringing uh, these, these people from the nation of Israel into, into Babylon into captivity. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So even the godly things were being carried off. And it says, these he carried off uh, to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God, then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court of uh, officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobilities. These, these were the, the special ones, the smart ones, the ones that were outstanding. and The, the Bible actually says it like this, uh, verse 4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Uh, That that means they were quick, man. These guys were the best of the best. They were well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They weren't going to be working in the fields. They were going to be serving at the king's pleasure in the king's palace. And He was to teach them, Ashpenaz, was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Uh, So they were going to be indoctrinated. They were going to be assimilated into the culture of Babylon. And verse 5 says the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And and while you might be thinking, wow, that would be awesome to be able to eat the food from the king's table, you need to understand this food would have most likely gone against every dietary restriction that the Jews had. It was most likely food that was offered to idols. So it would have been, spiritually for uh, Daniel and his, uh, his colleagues, it would have been dirty food. And so they were supposed to be trained for three years and after that they were entering into the king's service among those who were chosen verse six says were some from judah daniel hananiah Mishael, and azariah so what we start seeing is we start seeing this this blending into the culture the indoctrination the assimilation of these these young men into the babylonian culture and we need to understand the importance of what the bible is trying to teach us right here our culture has an agenda, and it's really, it's not just our culture, but the devil. The devil uses culture to work his evil and to have influence over each and every one of us in our lives. And so this is where it starts. He says, uh, we're going to, we're going to get them into our culture. And the first thing that they do, I want you to look at verse 7. The first thing they do is the chief official gave them new names. He gives them new names. Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, you've been given a name by your parents. You have been blessed with a name that your parents gave you. And, and some of you, you may not even know what your name means, uh, but you have that name. You know that name now. It's not really important what your given name is. It's important, uh, really, what's more important is what you believe about yourself, the name that you uh, give to yourself. And so you have to ask yourself the question, do I believe what culture says about me or do I believe what God says about me? That is really the issue. That's what's in the name. And and you've got to understand that there is uh, importance in a name. And there is uh, an important issue to be settled about what do you believe. And so culture's agenda is very clear. And we see it here in the book of Daniel, especially as we see them being blended into the culture. Uh, Culture's agenda is, first of all, uh, culture wants to change our identity. Culture wants to change our identity. So what what is your name? What are you called? What do people call you? My name is Wayne Alonzo John Dummett. Now I know some of you did not know that, but uh, my name is given to me. My name was given to me. My dad's name is Wayne my my dad's brother's name is Alonzo. Uh, my my mom's brother's name was John. A- and then I have my last name. But uh, many of you don't realize that that's I go by AJ because uh, Alonzo John. Those two initials is is kind of what stuck. My grandma started calling me her little AJ. That's what stuck with me. And and uh, so you know whenever I was in trouble or whatever, my mother would say, "Why ain't Alonzo John done it?" I mean that was like a whole mouthful. And I knew that. I I had really done something wrong at that point. But when I was a teenager, some of the people in my life, they, they influenced me to, to act like and to become something that I really wasn't. And as a matter of fact, uh, I was trying to move away as quickly as I could from what I knew that God really wanted for my life. I was trying to be something that I thought everybody wanted me to be and so that everybody would like me more. And I remember in that time I was taking a typing class in my school and I hated it. I really disliked the teacher. It seemed like uh, she was picking on me every chance that she got. uh, Shout out to my typing teacher. And and I thought, uh, you know, I will never use typing, so why do I need to take and pass this class? Why why do I need to do that? uh, I I mean, just look at what I do now. I type for hours a week. Typing is one of the main ways that I communicate and function in my life now. But, But at that time, I didn't really understand why I had to go through the torture of typing. But the devil would like to put a script on your life, and it's not the script of uh, the name that God gave you, but uh, it, it's what he wants for you. It's his influence. He wants to influence you in the way uh, that he wants you to go and not the identity that God has for you. And so the first thing that happens with uh, these, these four uh, young men is that they are starting to be blended into the culture and they, they get their names or their identities changed. And the devil is trying through culture to change your identity, to change the way that you look at yourself, to change the way that you look uh, at at the, the life that you are living. And that's one of the greatest things that I like about this church and about the crossroads is because we're not just a church. I mean, we truly want to help you discover and live out your God-given identity. We're not about having a religious experience. We want you to have a spiritual experience with God through repentance, through water baptism in the name of Jesus, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, God's spirit living inside of you. You can begin to understand, to learn, and to understand the identity that God has designed for you. We have uh, discipleship and we have small groups and these are all designed uh, with your spiritual growth and your identity discovery in mind. Today, I I would suggest that today is a great day uh, to begin your spiritual journey. Or if you strayed off the path, to get back to the path of your spiritual journey that you strayed from. I want you just to look with me in in, in verse uh, 7 here at the name changes. Uh, Daniel, God is my judge. That's what Daniel meant. God is my judge in Hebrew. And and then when he gets his Babylonian name, they give him the Babylonian name Belteshazzar, which means lady protect the king. So so he's he's a man and now he's being called a lady. I know this is a lot this kind of taboo in our culture and people don't really like to talk about uh, gender confusion. But if you'll study in history, you will find that in every pagan culture, there has always been a gender confusion. And I I believe that the devil wants to make it not to where uh, he's uh, messing with people's sexuality, but he wants to he, he really wants to confuse people and frustrate people into not even knowing who they are. And so Daniel, who's a man and says, God is my judge. Now it's lady protect the king. And that's such a difference. It's a complete gender switch. And so uh, I would say today to those of you that are not sure who you are, and you're wondering and you're confused about who you are. This word, the book of uh, the, the book that we're reading, the Bible is so powerful and so special because it explains to us who God intended for us to be. But let's go on, Hananiah, the name Hananiah was Yahweh has been gracious, Yahweh has been gracious, now his Babylonian name Shadrach is, I am fearful of God. Look at what the enemy is trying to do here. It's trying to make uh, this, this young man uh, by the name of Hananiah feel like he has to take on the name Shadrach, which, which was saying God is not for you. Church stinks. They're mean people. You don't need to have anything to do. I'm fearful of God. The name Mishael in Hebrew is who can compare to my God? No one. Wow, What a what a confident statement. Nobody can compare to my God. Nobody's like my God. There's no God like my God. What an awesome thing to say. What an awesome name to have. But his name gets changed or or moved into the dimension of Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So he goes from a position of confidence in God and what God is able to do into a position of being despised and contemptible and humiliated. What a difference in that name. You go from confidence to cowardice. And then Azariah, the name means Yahweh has helped in the Hebrew. And then Abednego, uh, really it changes from Yahweh has helped to the servant of Nebo, or now you're the servant of some Babylonian man. The devil wants to redefine you. He wants to redefine your future. He wants to keep you a slave to culture, a slave to man, to the approval of men. But I would say to you today, you need to let God label you. You need to let the one who made you put a label on you and not just put a label on you, but put that label in you so that you know who you are. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know whose you are and who you belong to because when the culture shifts, here's here's the point. We must know who we are when culture is shifting and people are losing their minds and, and everything around us starts breaking down. We must know who we are. Who we are? Who Who are you? We are who God says we are. We're not who culture says we are. We're We're not who uh, you know these popular uh, you know media types say that we are. We are who God says we are. Look at verse eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I want you to notice what Daniel did. He said, wait a second, I cannot move with the culture. I cannot blend into the culture. I've got some convictions. I have some things in my life that I need to abide by. And I think one of the things that culture uh, tries to get you to do is to compromise our standards. That culture wants us to compromise our standards. Culture puts pressure on us to change our convictions, to, to, to uh, just fit in. Just, you know what, Just hey, that's not such a big deal. Let's just let that go and let's just fit in. But Daniel said, uh, the, the scripture says, Daniel resolved in himself, he wasn't going to defile himself. He was going to hold true. He's going to stand for the, the, the culture that we live in wants you to compromise your standards and it's putting pressure on you to change your convictions that I want want you to hear me loud and clear when we begin to shift away from God and we start going with the flow of culture. Yes, you may keep a distance between yourself and culture and say, oh, well, I'm not as bad as those people over there. Look at how far they are. But at the same time, if you keep uh, in tune with culture, you're trying to just stay far enough away that you can say that there's some distance. The problem with that is uh, that, that you are still moving away from God. And I want to tell you this, God's principles, his laws, those commandments, those things that we talked about in the 10 Habits of Highly Healthy Homes, those principles are for you. They are not against you. It's not it's not good for God. He he didn't come up with a, a list of things for us because it's good for him. He came up with a list of things and gave it to us because it's good for us. Amen. The Bible is good for us. And so we've got to understand that when culture shifts and culture's trying to get us to, to change our standards or compromise our convictions. When culture shifts, we've got to reaffirm our convictions. We've got to reaffirm our convictions. Daniel chapter one, verses nine and ten in the New International Version says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, he said, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And then look at what he says. He's saying, look, Daniel, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I, I don't want to lose my head because you don't want to eat the king's meat. I, I don't want to lose my head because you don't want to fit in here like everybody else. And, and, and so Daniel in verse 11 says to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, uh, please test your servants for 10 days. And, and, and I want you to understand this. This is very important. He says, give us nothing but vegetables to eat uh, and water to drink and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. Now, I of Daniel is unique because there are so many tests and you find several different tests that they have to go through in the book of Daniel. Uh, so this is, this is the important part. Uh, Culture is trying to create tests for the children of God. Culture is trying to force the children of God into making decisions, into creating confrontations. And I think culture would like to create a confrontation. So when culture shifts, uh, we've got to realize we're being tested, we're being put into confrontations, and we must respond the right way. I find uh, that that's why we really need to talk about this, because... Most of culture is not responding the right way, especially a lot of churches are not responding the right way. In most churches today, there's there's one of two responses, and unfortunately, they're both extreme. Uh, neither one of them is right. And, and the first response that I see in, in a lot of churches and a lot of uh, you know, Christians is that dogmatic response. I know what I know. You're wrong. And if, you, you know, if you don't see things the way that I see it, well, then I really don't care. Uh, you, you'll probably go to hell, but that's not on me. That's on you uh, because you're wrong and I'm right uh, and, and you may be right. But you know what? God didn't call us to be right. He wants us to be righteous. So even if you are right, because it's not helping anybody else, you're wrong, even in your rightness. And so there's that dogmatic approach, which is not correct. It's not right. And the second approach that I see is that let everybody come into the kingdom of God. Let let everybody just come in just as they are. Let everybody in just like they are. And they do this in the name of love. We have whole churches and denominations who set the Bible and the truth of God's word aside, actually thinking that they love uh, people more than God loves people. And that doesn't work. I mean, we, we can't just change or move the truth of God's word to suit us or anyone else. It won't work that way. There must be a balance of the two. There must be a balance of truth and love. There must be the balance of the two that Daniel shows us how to stand firm in our faith and to influence his generation at the same time. And guess who else does this in scripture? Jesus. Jesus was total perfection with skin. Amen. He was completely holy, but there were all sorts of sinners. There were prostitutes and publicans and and tax collectors that were at his feet. They all felt loved by Jesus and he was able to help them to feel love and not condemned without compromising who he was, which was the way, the truth and the life. In fact, we find this so beautifully uh, scripted in John chapter one and verse 14, the King James and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father. And I want you to get this part full of and I want you to say this wherever you are, I want you to say this grace and grace. Truth. That's the title to, to, for tonight. I understand that you are, are, are hearing this and maybe you've thought about this, but you've never thought about it in this way. But what does that mean? Both grace and truth. Well, truth is, is God's standard. It's the standard that we have to hold our lives to. We find the truth, and and John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So what is truth? It's God's standard. It's, It's the word. And I want to be very clear here. We are a church. The Crossroads is a church where love is the answer. We love everyone, and we want everyone to be a part of the family here. But let me also be clear, we are not going to compromise the truth. We are not going to compromise the word of God. Our message is the same gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. It's the message that my grandfather, Wesley Eger preached. And it's the uh, same message that my father, Wayne Irvin, preached. And it's the same message today that we preach. And hopefully it will carry on into the next generation that my children, and grandchildren will teach. Why? Because we preach, we teach, and we live God's truth here at the crossroads. That is not going to change. That is not going into anywhere. Culture, uh, it changes, but God doesn't change in His Word. His standard is truth, and it's not going anywhere. But at the same time, we can't stay there. We can't just say, well, bless God, here's the Word. If you don't like it, you'll you'll have to deal with it. Because on our own we cannot be saved on our own we cannot stay saved we need God's grace. what is God's grace God's grace is his favor God's favor is what it is. God loves sinners he, he loves sinners he loves them so much we, we see that he gave his life but not only that man he was forgiving sin even while he was here on the earth and he loves you a lot he loves you enough. That he will not allow you to stay the way you are. That's why it's okay to come to God as you are, but you don't stay the way that you are. That's why that God allows uh, people to, to come in whatever form that they are, but he encourages them and he challenges them through his word, through truth, to become who he has intended for them to be. And so God refuses to allow anything you do that is good. To qualify you for the kingdom. He won't allow that. He can't allow that. Why? Because you can't get baptized enough. You you can't attend services enough. You can't give enough. You can't even memorize enough scriptures. You must be saved through his grace. It's not because of anything that you have done. Look at what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. New Living Translation. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. If it was, then we could boast about it. And that's what the scripture says. We we would boast about it. We would say, hey, we did this. Look at what we did. We earned our way into heaven. But that's not the way it works. That's why we need both both grace and grace. Truth, God's word, calls us to a place and invites us to be changed into his likeness, into his image, into his identity. So thank God for his word. Thank God that he has a plan for my life that is different from what my human nature wants. That's different from what culture is trying to dictate to me. I want grace and truth in my life. Without truth, we are corrupt. We don't have truth. We are we are just corrupt. We are falling off the deep end. But without grace, we are condemned. There is no hope for us. We need both grace and truth. How good is good enough, right? How bad is too bad in your life? If you have a slide scale of zero to 100 where Hitler is zero and Jesus is 100. How good do you have to be in order to make it to heaven? At funerals, I hear preachers say a lot of times, and I've, I've seen people, you know, just kind of smile, but but they'll say stuff like, he was a good man. And I think without realizing it, what they're trying to convey is he might have done some bad things, but you know what? He did just enough good to tip the scales in the, in the favor of, of good. But where do the scales actually tip is the question. Because if you look at it and you say, well, Hitler's at zero and Jesus is at a hundred, and some people would say, well, I think, you know, anything above 50, it's tipped in the right direction. But the Bible actually says that it's all, it's 100%. You have to keep it all. And so if you're going to do it by works, if you're going to be justified by your work, it's got to be a hundred percent. You've got to be perfect. (laughs) And I know some of you are like, well, that's going to be a problem because I'm not perfect. Can can I just tell you that you are not alone? Nobody can do that. Nobody can be perfect. That's why we need the grace of God in our lives. Because here's, here's the statement. Without truth, we become worldly. Without truth, we become worldly. We start doing things we know we shouldn't do. And and without that truth, the the standard, the firm conviction, the the relationship that holds us, amen, uh, into that proper understanding of what God's word is and how our lives should be lived out. Without truth, we become worldly. But without grace, we become judgmental. And I, I would just say this. I think the world is sick of judgmental churches and judgmental Christians. I know that may uh, ruffle some feathers that may upset you a little bit, but nobody is you are not going to forgive anybody more than Jesus has already forgiven you. you. You can't do it. It's not even possible. We, we don't forgive people more than Jesus forgave us. And so let, let, let's say it like this. Truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. Truth and grace, when you combine them and you bring those two things together, it's medicine. It's good medicine. It heals us. It helps us to become what he has intended us to be. It helps our identity to be shaped and formed in his likeness and his image. The world that we live in, in our community, uh, we don't need more, more judgmentalism. We don't need more people bending their Bibles and saying, bless God, you know, you're going to hell. Uh, we don't need more of that. What we need is more places, more churches, more Christians, more people that, that will say, hey, we're going to give you both grace and truth at the same time. Places that aren't judgmental, people that aren't judgmental, but at the same time, they're not going to compromise the truth of God's word. Because grace invites us to be free. Grace says there's hope for you. Grace says there's a way for you to be free. That that you don't have to live in that sin anymore. But then you need the truth because the truth sets us free. You've got to abide by the things in this word. Because yes, there is grace and it invites you to be free. But the truth will set you free. We're not going to change God's word at the crossroads, we're not going to become something that we're not intended to be. We are going to be what God intended us to be. We're not going to change God's word, but we're going to let God's word change us. Now, let me just close with this story. We find the, the most, I think, one of the most beautiful illustrations of. Uh, grace and truth in action in the book of John, and it's the book of John, chapter 8. And maybe you know you've heard at least a part of this story before. Uh, maybe it, 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 you know, you it would surprise you uh, to see this if you haven't seen it before. But I want you to look at John, chapter 8, and, and let's see what happens here. Let's see how Jesus brings these two together. It says that Jesus, in the New Living Translation, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple and a crowd soon gathered. And he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of Why, why did they, what were they doing there to catch her in the act, right? That's kind of suspicious. Uh, Maybe you shouldn't talk about that, right? I don't know. But uh, I just think that it's one of those things that they say, hey, this woman was brought in the very act of adultery. They put her in the front of the crowd and they say to to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. But what do you say? Look look at what they were trying to do. If you keep reading, you'll find out they were trying to trap Jesus. Are you going to be the truth and kill her? Or are you going to go grace and and, and break the Bible? What what are you going to do, Jesus? What do you think? Uh, What's your stance here, Jesus? Choose. Make a choice right now, right here in front of all these people and they're putting Jesus on the spot and, and 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 here's the good news is that you don't have to do either or you, you don't have to do grace or truth you, you don't have to choose one or the other you can do both and you can have grace and truth. And so that's what Jesus displays as they were trying to trap him in the same something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and in the dust with his finger, he, he begins to write on the ground, right? They keep demanding an answer. So he stands up and he says, okay, all right. But Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stoops back down and he starts to do the sand again. And they slip away, the scripture says, one by one, beginning at the oldest. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And I, I find this interesting and I, I've always kind of wondered, you know, why was it the oldest that left first? Maybe uh, they had the most sin because they'd lived the longest. I don't know. Maybe it was because uh, Jesus began to write some specific things that convicted even the oldest ones all the way to the younger ones. I'm not sure. But I do know that when Jesus stands up and he looks around and he sees only the woman, he says, woman. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them stay to condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And Jesus says this, and I want you to get this grace and truth statement right here. He didn't ignore the fact that she had sinned. He didn't ignore the fact that she was caught in the very act of the sin and brought before him. And judgment was supposed to be made according to the law of Moses. She needed to die. But this is what Jesus does. He doesn't ignore the sin, but Jesus says, neither do I go and sin no more. Jesus is not condemning. Jesus is loving, but he also tells her, okay, now it's time to stop sinning. Now it's time to turn your life, amen, to become who you have been intended to be with with the help of God. And I, I would say to each and every one of us as a church and as Christians, as people of God, we've got to hold high God's truth. We can't compromise. We can't let these things like we, especially in the day and age we live in with such an onslaught of all the things that are coming against us from our culture, from media and from the evil that is uh, prevalent in our world today. We must hold high God's truth, but at the same time, let us be a church and let us be a people that freely give God's grace. Because we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us. He loves us, amen, and he shows us his grace. So as I close today, I want to ask you, how is culture trying to define you right now? What are are some of the sins that Jesus is speaking to you about in your own life? Not condemning you, not, not trying to heap this condemnation over you, but... Jesus has spoken to you even in the last few moments about some sin in your life that you know is not right and it doesn't hold up to the standard of the Word of God, to the standard of truth. And you know that it shouldn't be going on in your life and you know that some things really need to change, but I would ask you, what are those sins? Why don't you preach to yourself for a moment and let your conscience do a little bit of work here. What are some of those sins? Have you been watching things that you shouldn't have been watching? Have you been clicking on things on the Internet or or viewing things through social media and the back doors of social media that you don't you don't have any business uh, doing and there's guilt and there's shame that's hanging over you? And maybe you've been talking to some people or in some chat rooms or in some chats that you shouldn't have been in. Maybe there's some things that you've just been uh, desiring in your heart that you know are not pleasing to God. And you're letting culture define you, you're letting the devil speak into your life, and you're letting uh, the media tell you what you should look like, how you should act, how you should respond. There's certain things that maybe you know are not okay, maybe those things right now, they, they feel like they're okay, but when you compare them to the truth of the Word of God, you know it's not okay. What is it that God is speaking to you and Jesus would tell you today, go, I recognize the sin in your life. I see that, but I still love you. I still give you grace. I still give you that favor that you need in your life. He's not condemning you, but the truth has to be reckoned with. There needs to be a a reckoning of truth in your life. So let the grace of God invite you to repentance right now and let the truth of God's word set you free. If you will, in the next few moments, just take some time and you'll cry out to God and you'll ask God for forgiveness. If you will repent of your sins and you'll turn your life over to him, God wants to fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He wants to place his spirit on the inside of you. And if you already have his spirit on the inside of you, I challenge you to stir up the gift that is inside of you right now. Let God do that work in you. And if you've not been baptized in Jesus name, why don't you call us or text us? We will make a to get you baptized in Jesus name as soon as possible. I want to just, I want you to just take just a few moments and respond to what you've heard, respond to what you felt. And let's just ask God, God, forgive us. God, cleanse us. Help us not to be defined by our culture, but help us to be defined by what you label you put on us and what label you want to put in us. God, help us to see our true value. Help us to see our true worth in your eyes. And God, let us move forward in the grace and mercy that only you can give us. Thank you for grace and thank you for truth. God, without both of them, we would be lost. Without them, we would be undone. I need your truth, God, and I need your grace. I'm not complete without either one. Thank you for grace and truth in my life. excited about what God is going to do in this Stand Firm and Love Well series that we are on together. And uh, if you want to get your journey started, please uh, text us. We have a lot of great things that are coming up and we're excited to share with you. Uh, But I I don't want to pressure you. I'm not trying to twist your arm. I I just want to be and we want to be a, a resource for you to grow spiritually and to stand firm and love well in the day and the age and the culture that we live amen so thank you for joining us don't forget next uh next week we're going to continue our series we're going to be talking about the Babylon mentality we're going to talk about the Babylon mentality you won't want to miss it we look forward to seeing you don't forget to join us on Sunday for our live experience God bless you have a
1: great night